Good morning. I'm Lois. I'm really glad to be with you this morning to have the honor and the privilege of uh, speaking about God's Word. Look forward to what He has to say, not me. Uh, As has been mentioned, we are uh, in the season of Advent, um, second week of Advent of the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. Yes, that means Christmas is like two weeks away. How did that happen? Um, And Advent is just, it's this great opportunity that we have to take some time to contemplate what it really means that God chose to come to us in human form. It's astounding. And during this time, as has, has been said earlier, it's a time to remember and to reflect on the years and years and years that the Jewish people waited for the Messiah, to feel their longing and their anticipation as they waited and waited for a Savior. And then it's a time, too, for us to reflect on our longing for Christ's promised return one day. We look forward so much to that day when all will be made right, don't we? When the injustices that we face will be made right, when there will finally be no more pain, no more wars, no more suffering, no more death, no more sickness. As Shannon explained last week, these four weeks of Advent this year, we're, gonna, we're going through the first chapter of Luke. And so last week he kicked that off and he was preaching on Luke's account of the foretelling of John the Baptist's birth. And we were reminded and challenged to think about the fact that one of the ways that we can get ready for the Lord and for the kingdom of God is by acknowledging or confessing our sin and by turning from that. And so I hope you've had a chance this week to think about that, to um, contemplate that thought. Uh, if you didn't hear that message, I encourage you to go online and listen to it and, um, or watch it on YouTube. You can find it on our website or YouTube. And, and by the way, welcome to those of you who are joining us online. We're glad that you're here. I've traveled a lot this year, and uh, I was so grateful for the opportunity to be able to be with my family of God uh, via the um, online link. And so thanks to all those in the balcony who are making that technology happen. You're amazing. All right, so today we're going to move on in Luke. We're going to look at the next part of this uh, chapter. We're going to look at verses 26 to 45. This is Luke's account of the foretelling of the birth of Jesus. And so it's the announcement that's made by the angel uh, to Mary that she was going to give birth to the Messiah. And so let me just pause here for a second. Um, A couple of weeks ago, I was in Madison, Wisconsin for 10 days to help take care of my grandsons. And the two-year-old really loves to have stories read to him. And Grammy loves to read stories. So that all works out. So, um, but he really likes for the same story to be read. You know, like over and over and over and over. And so I can pretty much quote you the entirety of the Cars storybook that we got at the library early on in my visit. (laughs) I read it so many times, and I know that story so well. And so I have a confession to make. When I learned that this is the passage that I would be speaking about today, I felt a little bit bit like the, 
I did in reading this car story over and over. You know, I felt like, wow, I know this story really, really well. I've read it a lot. And I bet all of you know this story really, really well. You've probably heard it a lot too. It's a familiar one. But of course, scripture is very different from the Cars book. Uh, it's really different from every other book that there is. It's an amazing book. It's, it's such a powerful book. Scripture, it, it just, it always holds out this promise of speaking to us in new ways. That's one of the, the things about Scripture that is so amazing. I mean, how many of you have ever had that experience where you read something or you hear something, a story from Scripture that you've heard many times and you say, oh, I've never thought about it that way, or oh, I've never seen that in this passage before. Have any of you ever had that experience? Bee's had that experience, apparently. Yeah, thanks, Bee. <laughs> so God is just always ready and willing to speak to us through his word. And my deepest prayer today, my deepest prayer as I have, as I have come this morning, is that he will do that in this place, today for you and for me. So you might even want to open a note on your phone or get out a little piece of paper because just in case God speaks to you, you can jot it down to think about it some more later because it could happen. You know, this is the season of Advent, right? It's a season of anticipation and expectation, and you just never know where God might show up. All right, let's get started with, uh, let's pray once again. Father God, we are so thankful for your word and for the promise that it holds for us, the promise that you would speak to us through it. And so God, as we come this morning, would you open our ears and our hearts and our minds to what you have to say. Father, I thank you that you are a God who transforms lives, that you are ready and willing and able to do that. And we pray, God, that as we encounter your word this morning, that you would be about your work of transformation in us. We ask this in the holy, the precious, the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so we are reading from Luke 1, 26 to 45 this morning. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word of God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. 
At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. All right, well, let's start by taking just a closer look at at this really familiar passage. So in just the first two sentences of this story, Luke packs just, uh, he packs in a ton of information. He sets the scene. So it starts out, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So in that short introduction, we learn it's about six months after the angel Gabriel had come to Zechariah and announced that, the, that his barren wife would be giving birth to a son, despite both of them being well along in years. God has sent the angel Gabriel on another mission, we learn, and this time it's to Nazareth, which was a small town in Galilee. And, you know, why does Luke include this detail, right? Well, first of all, he's a doctor, and his account, his entire account, his entire gospel is very thorough and detailed. But also, he might want us to know what an obscure place it was that this extraordinary event was about to take place. Because you see, Galilee was not a really important part of Israel. And Nazareth was kind of a place we might term podunk. And perhaps there's a message here about God showing up in unexpected and unflashy places, right? The least likely places to do extraordinary things. Okay. So Luke tells us here also that Gabriel was sent to a young woman who was a virgin. She was pledged to be married, somewhat, somewhat like the engagement period in our culture, uh, but much, much more binding. You would, you'd have to get a legal divorce to get out of this sort of engagement. And there was absolutely no living together involved here or anything that might happen while you were living together, if you get my drift. So we also learn that the man that she was pledged to be married to was Joseph, and Luke tells us that he was a descendant of David. Now, this was an important little bit of information that Luke throws in because the prophets had said that the Messiah would come through the line of David. And so Luke is like, he's like giving a little hint here, a little little foreshadowing of what he's going to be telling us about, what the angel's going to be announcing. So, and then lastly, of course, we learn that the virgin's name was Mary. Okay, so we've got the who, the when, the where of the story that's about to unfold, just all packed into those first two sentences. And then the action starts. So the angel, it says, went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Well, a couple things to be sure to notice here. Luke tells us that Mary was highly favored and that the Lord was with her. What's important to notice here is that Mary didn't actually do anything to earn those distinctions, 
right? These aren't statements about special virtues that Mary had acquired somehow for herself. The angel here is stating what's true from a divine perspective. He's stating that God highly favors her. God is with her. And that's pretty significant, isn't it? This is God's initiative. It's God's goodness and grace. As one commentator put it, from first to last, salvation is the work of God, the product of his grace and his favor. Grace and favor, that's where this story actually starts. So let's move on in it. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So here it is. It's the birth announcement. And once again, there's a lot of information here. So Mary's going to conceive and give birth to a son. She's going to call him Jesus. He'll be great. He'll be called the son of the most high. God's going to give him the throne of his father, David. He'll reign over Jacob's descendants, that is God's people, forever. And his kingdom will never end. Wow. This child is going to be extraordinary. And what is Mary's response to all this? How will this be since I'm a virgin? It's like she didn't even hear anything that the angel said after you will conceive and give birth, right? There's this big, magnificent proclamation, and she's like, okay, hold on, back the truck up. What? How? It's like she's just kind of missing something here, right? This is going to be like this amazing child. But she's stuck on the very first thing the angel said. You will conceive and give birth. And it's just, it's almost like she didn't even hear the rest. And really, you can't blame her, right? Like, I think I'd want an explanation too. And I think that sort of speaks to our human, our rational minds. You know, we want to understand and we sort of need things in logical order. Like, okay, first of all, how's this going to work? And after that, after I understand that, then I can go on and, and get to those other things that you said. But also there's something else to consider here. Because Isaiah had prophesied many, many years before about the Messiah that God would one day send. And the Jews knew this scripture well. And Mary was a Jewish girl. Isaiah prophesied, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. So the Jewish people probably had a lot of questions about how this virgin giving birth to a son thing was actually going to work, right? They legitimately had questions because this isn't something that happens. It's kind of like the disciples wondering, what Jesus meant when he said that he was going to be killed and raised to life after three days? I mean, they knew it must be true somehow, but they, could, could, they couldn't really understand how that would work, right? And I think it's kind of like us wondering what it means when we're told that Jesus will come back again. 
I mean, what's that going to look like? How is that, how's that actually going to work? So here's Mary's chance. She's got the angel there. She's, got, she's telling her she's going to conceive, even though she's a virgin. And so she's like, okay, angel, let's start right there. How exactly is this going to happen? How will this be, she asks. And the angel tells her that the Holy Spirit is going to come on her and the power of the Most High will overshadow her. And then he mentions that this Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So we notice here that this angel cannot seem to talk about the birth without moving on to talking about who this baby will actually be. Like, he can't separate those two things. Here's how it's going to work, and here's who this baby's going to be. He's just, he's compelled to draw the reader's attention, the hearer's attention, back to the splendor of who this child is. He will be called the Son of God. We're going to talk in a minute about kind of the significance of that title, but for now, just notice where the angel's focus is here. Maybe in contrast to our natural human focus a bit. The angel is not at all focused on the how. He's all about the who. Okay, so then after that, the angel goes on to tell Mary about her relative Elizabeth, who's going to have a child in her old age. And he says to her, he reminds her, for no word from God will ever fail. Assuring her that all of those prophecies that she knows about the Messiah will be fulfilled. They will be fulfilled just as they were promised. No word of God will ever fail. And this is enough for Mary. Even though she probably doesn't fully understand the logistics of how all of this is going to come about, she responds in faith. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then Mary quickly travels to see Elizabeth. And we're told that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. Somehow, somehow, this unborn John the Baptist responds to the unborn Jesus. It's interesting to note that the wording here that Luke uses echoes the phrasing in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And that's the story of when David was leaping before the Ark of the Covenant as it was being brought into Jerusalem. And remember, the Ark of the Covenant for the Israelites was the vessel that carried the very presence of God. And so David in that story, he was filled with such joy as that ark was being brought into Jerusalem, that he was leaping before it, very undignified. But he was just so joyful that he couldn't help himself. He was leaping. And those are, those are the words that are echoed here. John's response in the womb was to leap. See, we're being told here that this miraculous baby in Elizabeth, in Elizabeth's womb, who would one day prepare people for the coming of the Messiah, he recognized Mary 
as the vessel who carried the very presence of God. And he leapt with joy. What an astounding detail, right, for Luke to include. Isn't that interesting that he would include that detail? And Elizabeth's response also bears examination then. She responds to Mary's greeting when, with both faith and awe, we're told. And remember, you know, Mary is a young woman, right? So Elizabeth is her senior. She's the more respected person in this relationship. And so it's, it's surprising that she would respond in faith and awe to the younger woman. And she exuberantly exclaims, we're told, blessed are you among women and blessed are the child is, is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? You know, it's interesting that Elizabeth doesn't hear offer a blessing. See, because that would have been like natural and very culturally appropriate to confer a blessing on your newly arrived relative as she came in, blessings on you. But no, instead, she recognizes and declares the blessedness of Mary and of the child she will bear. And she recognizes that this child that Mary is carrying is going to be her Lord. She has an immediate understanding of the true identity of the baby that Mary is going to give birth to. And it's only, and we're told, it's only by a filling of the Holy Spirit that she understands these things, that they, these things have been revealed to her. And she just can't contain her response, can she? And then this part of Luke's narrative concludes with Elizabeth's declaration, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. The climax of Elizabeth's exclamation in this part of the story is a recognition and a proclamation of Mary's belief of God's promises. See, this is what God ultimately desires, belief in his promises, trust in his plans. This is obedience. This is where blessing is found. And you're going to have to wait until next week to hear how Mary responds to all of this. <laughs> That's next week's message. It will go on in, in Luke 1. There's a lot to reflect on in this story, isn't there? But there's something that we sort of breezed over a bit quickly that bears much more of our attention, uh, on, particularly on this second Sunday of Advent, when we are seeking to contemplate, to understand more deeply this story. And it's those things that the angel told Mary about the baby who was to be born. Because although this story is about Mary and the announcement to her, the central figure in this story really is Jesus. He's always the central figure in Scripture. Everything always, always points to him and the incredible work that he's done for us. 
So as we conclude today, I just want to go back and spend a few moments together pondering those things that the angel told Mary about this child that she was about to give birth to, about this baby who was born in a manger, who would have both shepherds and wise men come to worship him. So here's what the angel said. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. The Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. That's what the angel said. So we see first that this child is to be called Jesus. Well, names are important, aren't they? And they were really important in Jewish culture. So Jesus is the Greek form of the name Joshua. And the name Joshua means the Lord saves. This baby was to be named the Lord saves. But his name wouldn't just be a declaration of what God does. It would be given to the one through whom he would do it. Think about that. Every time we sing praises to Jesus, every time we speak out his name, every time we pray in his name, we are declaring not just that God saves but that he saved us by sending a baby who would grow up to become the means by which we are saved. You are to call him Jesus. And this Jesus will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. This is a proclamation that points to Jesus' sovereignty. He will be great above all. It's such a small and simple word, but there's so much richness to it. There's such a depth to it. And ironically, Jesus' greatness would come not through stupendous political or social action, things that the world might look at to prove greatness, but ultimately it would come through the laying down of his life, through an act of humility and service, an ultimate act. It would come through his sacrifice. He will be called the Son of the Most High. He will be called is a Semitic idiom meaning he will be recognized. This one whose greatness will be displayed in his sacrificial life will be recognized as the one who is the son of the one who is above all. And God is going to give him the throne of his father David. And we're reminded here in this phrase of God's great scheme of redemption. Because the story of Jesus began long, long before his birth. 
The story of Jesus' ultimate reign began in history, in the beginning of history. And what's transpired over that past leads to this moment. David was the greatest of kings. He was a great leader of God's people. He was a man after God's own heart. And Isaiah tells us that he'd been promised by God that after he died, God would raise up an offspring to succeed him, and that through that, his kingdom would endure forever. And the fulfillment of this promise has now come. Jesus will be given his throne, David's throne. And Jesus will reign over Jacob's descendants. That is God's people forever. What an assurance for us that Jesus is our king. That we can count on him to take care of the matters of the kingdom, to take care of us, to watch over and protect and oversee. My son and his family live in a country that has a king. We, we're not familiar a lot with kings, but um, we were there this summer, and it, it's astounding how much they love their king and they trust their king to do good for them. Every home, every business has pictures of the king. And they, their confidence is that that king is good and will care for them. Jesus is our king. And he is great beyond measure. And his reign, unlike that king, his reign is going to endure forever. We don't have to worry. No matter what happens in this world, no matter what has happened, no matter what we fear may happen, he is ruler over all. And he always, always will be. Again, this is a fulfillment that was promised so long ago. And that can give us the confidence to believe, remember, belief is what God is looking for. Belief pleases him. So the significance of this idea that Jesus will reign forever is so enormous that it's then rephrased and it's restated and it's punctuated his kingdom will never end. See, this, this is eternity we're talking about. God's everlasting rule and reign through his son who sits on the throne forever and ever. And then lastly, the ultimate climax of the birth announcement. He will be called the son of God. He's distinguished from all others this is Son with a capital S. There's no one else like him that has this intimate relationship with the Father. Through being born to a virgin and her betrothed husband, he is in reality God's one and only Son. He is the Messiah, 
the Redeemer and the Savior. He's our Messiah, Redeemer, and Savior. So I want to close today by reading together out loud those words, the proclamation that Gabriel made, these amazing truths about the one whose birth we are preparing to celebrate. And those of you on the live stream, I invite you, wherever you are, to join in. Even if you're like in a coffee shop, go ahead, do it. <laughs> All right, do it. All right. So let's, let's uh, proclaim this together. Let's read together. You will conceive and give birth. Let's start again. Okay. I'm going to look up here. Mary conceived and gives birth to a son and called him Jesus. He was great and was called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God gave him the throne of his father, David, and he reigns over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. The Holy One was born and is called the Son of God. Amen. Let's pray. God, you are the Holy One. And it is hard for our minds to grasp all that you have done through Jesus, through sending your Son to walk on this earth, to be born to a virgin. And so, God, we humbly ask you to reveal to us the depth of that truth. We ask you, God, to move in our hearts and our minds and our souls this Christmas season that we may believe and worship you fully. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.